Welcome to our Triune Pod, where we prepare you to praise. I'm the Reverend Nick Comiskey. And I'm the Reverend Ben DeHart. Join us for a conversation about low-key theology, lived experience, and outlandish pop culture as we break down the collect of the day for the coming week. We hope it's an inspiring, maybe a bit irreverent, but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some God time. Welcome back to our Triune Pod. It is Fat Tuesday, and today we are going to look at the Ash Wednesday comic. But before we do all that, Nick, what are you doing for Mardi Gras tonight? Man, I have this uh, tradition every year. Um, actually, I don't. I try to think of something. I kind of come up with something off the top of my head. Uh, our church is doing like a Zoom pancake thing. I'm so excited. Our church is. <laughs> Cal St. G, all you listeners, if you want a Zoom pancake party, we are doing it. We're like, Dude, that sounds people actually lame, show up lame as hell. <laughs> lame as hell. But hey, I, I mean, look, we're all trying to go. do what we, yeah, you're trying to do what we can do, man. I get it. But God, right. that sucks. That was definitely suggested at our church. And I was just like, <laughs> I don't want to do that. I could see, listeners, I could see Nick hearing that and just his face wrinkle up and just be like, hell no. <laughs> That's, That's true, exactly man. how it happened, didn't it? I had uh, I had this thought last year. I remember, even wrote it down. Like I literally wrote it down in my journal. I'm like, oh, next year we should have a big pancake, like like uh, brunch after church. Like we should, and like I'm like, oh, that'd be so fun on that Sunday, the last Sunday, Transfiguration Sunday. Like that'd be a cool tradition. The last Sunday before Lent, we stay after church. Everyone likes pancakes, and then of course the COVID gods denied us that as well. First the Olympics, and then. Yeah this well pancakes and cocktails in 2022 all right nick well you uh you gave me this article to read which is actually it's a fantastic article it's uh was published in the new yorker february 1st it's by lauren graf it's called the win Groth, something like that doesn't matter the story is fantastic and i just want to ask you nick why why did you have us read this and why do we want to tell our listeners about this yeah, man. Well, let me just start by like, just, you know, point out the elephant in the room, which like, it is so freaking pretentious to bring up the New Yorker. <laughs> it is even more pretentious to point out the fiction article in the New Yorker, which is like, I don't know, do you, I mean, I never read this article, almost never. So I just want to be honest. Um, but I like Lauren Groff a lot. She wrote, have you read any of her stuff? Like she no. wrote that novel arc. You would like it because most of this stuff takes place in upstate New York, which is an area of the country. Uh, yeah. You know. So she has this As book. did this article. Yeah, yeah. She has this book, uh, Arcadia, about this like hippie commune thing in upstate New York. Her first book takes place in Cooperstown, actually. And there's like this, like, it's like a kind of a haunted house thing. It's really, really good. Now she lives in Florida, which is awesome. Anyway, she's just one of, she's probably one of my she's one of my favorite novelists. And uh, and so she's one of those, you know, four times a year when I read the fiction piece in the new yorker it's because i know the author and uh, i thought oh i'm gonna check this out and um i really do like i don't know if we can link it in the uh, show notes or in the on instagram but it's a really really powerful story it's a pretty pretty um intense story and i think for folks if there's anyone listening to this that has uh has experienced some like domestic abuse i think it might be pretty traumatic quite honestly to read it because she talks in a pretty searing unadorned but very affecting way about a um 
a woman who's being abused by her husband and is fleeing him uh, with their children. And you might be thinking like, why the hell are you recommending this? Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think that's fair. I mean, there's two themes that I thought were really interesting and then maybe I'll just share them and have you respond in turn. Like one of the things in the story that comes very clear is the way that trauma and specifically like memories of trauma are like carried in like our body. And we hit, we talked about this a few weeks ago with this, or maybe a couple months ago now, but the body keeping the score idea. And just this notion that like, there's a physicality to memories of trauma. Uh, and in the story, she writes that when that this, the, the, the way the story is structured is someone is recounting this day when they tried to flee her husband. And she says, when she used to tell that story, it was like, ripping out something that had worked its roots deep inside of her. And just that's such vivid, li li livid, uh, vivid language about, you know, unearthing this really traumatic memory from your past and how it like, it has like a somatic thing, you know, did that resonate with you or anything? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a pretty jarring story, but I, I, I read it twice. Cause it is, I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I've never dealt with a trauma like that and, and beyond just trauma, it's not like glorifying trauma or anything like that. It's a, it's a great story. I was kind of on the edge of my seat to the very end. And I love the way she tells the story. It's uh, through the perspective of like the grandchildren of the event. So you kind of know the ending, you know, like the kids are going to survive, but it's all the more interesting in that even at the very end, it ends in a way where it's like, well, the mom ends the story a certain way, but we realize she's just putting a happy face on it. Like it doesn't actually end that way. So yeah, just the, the form I thought was very interesting in addition to the, the brutal content. Yeah, and it's short too. I mean, you can read it in 10 minutes. Yeah, um, yeah the other thing I thought would be worth pointing out, and this might be a good lead in to, uh, to Ash Wednesday into the season of Lent. Uh, when I first read the story, I was like very touched by the way these like do-gooder uh, friends of the woman fleeing her husband, like kind of assisted her as she made this journey mm -hmm. uh, or tried to make this escape. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. People are looking out for each other. And then I read an interview with the author about the story and about the themes and why she wanted to tell it. And um, here's what she said. I think that much of the evil of this world comes from people who consider themselves good people who genuinely love their families and friends and communities, but who act just a little bit too slowly to be of much help, who give just a little less than they should, who don't want to get involved in other people's messes, who value their own comfort a little more than the thought of extending themselves as far as they can to ensure the security and happiness of others. Damn, that's pretty, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty convicting, man. Yeah. Well, why don't we jump right into the collect after I read that first sentence one more time. I think that much of the evil of this world comes from people who consider themselves good people. That's it. Ash Wednesday, it's a big repentance day. And that sentence, that whole paragraph is super convicting. So let's, let's pray this prayer and then I'm going to grill Nick. Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing you have made. And forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create and make in us new and contrite hearts, that we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain of you, the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness, 
through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Nick, what do you do with this? Yeah, well, just maybe start with a note of history. Um, I, this is not that interesting for a lot of people, but some of them might be, some folks might be interested in this. Like, so a lot of the, the prayer books that we, that a lot of the prayers that we talk about on this podcast are, come from, you know, 1500 years ago, a thousand years ago that were, they were composed prior to the English Reformation and the birth of the Church of England or the Anglican Church um, and as a Protestant entity. Um, but there are, I don't know how many, maybe you could probably count them on two hands, prayers that were originally written by the architect of the English Reformation, Thomas Cramer. And I always find that those prayers are probably are worthy of deeper investigation because they get at the core of how the Anglican Church um, envisions the relationship between God and humankind and how that stuff works. And this is one of those prayers. It's like an original composition for Ash Wednesday. And uh, there's a couple thoughts I have about it that we could talk about. And the first is the ascription that, you know, that second aspect of the collect as it is often structured, we pray to the almighty and everlasting God. And then we make these two interesting claims about this God, that God hates nothing that God has made and that God forgives the sins of all who are penitent. God, you hate nothing you have made. Um, I think that's just an, that's a, that's an interesting way to open the prayer. And I, I don't quite know how to connect that phrase or that idea that God hates nothing that he has made with the actual request, which is to create and make an us new and contrite heart. So God is the creator and we're asking God to create something anew. Um, what do you make of that, Ben DeHart? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it's just, I, I always kind of like it in that you know, sometimes you hear so often that, you know, God loves you or there's just love is always kind of in our air, but a lot of times there's very little substance to it. So this kind of almost, this feels jarring, just like our, our story did in a way that it, it kind of makes it fresh or new or different. Uh, God, not only like it's, he's not just, Oh, God loves you. God hates nothing he has made. And there tends to be, I think the connection that this college is making, despite the fact that we need forgiveness for our sins, despite the fact that we need to have these new hearts created in us, despite the fact that we're unworthy, God is for us. God does not hate us the way you and I would probably hate someone who betrays and fails us time and time again. So that's the, the connection I make. Did you have anything else you, you, you saw there or wanted to add? Um, well, I think, I think it's worth pointing out that, um, I mean, sometimes people will like summarize uh, both positively and negatively the kind of the, the, the theological influences that we have uh, under this phrase, like, you know, it's a very low anthropology and a very high Christology. So it's a very low understanding of the capacities of the human person and a very high understanding of God's capacities to save us in Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, I, I believe that to be true with every fiber of my being. But I think that when that when you emphasize that too much, or you can perhaps fall into this kind of nihilism plane where you just almost glory in human ineptitude. Mm -hmm. And you can, you almost forget that God is the creator of human nature and that God hates nothing that God has made. And so it, 
what am I trying to say? I'm not simply saying this saves us from a kind of spiritual masochism, though I think that's helpful. But I think, and this will maybe connect to the second thing I wanted to talk about, but God has created the human being with like capacity to do certain things. Mm-hmm. And um, God hates nothing that he has made. So even though we believe very firmly that the gospel is all about God making possible what is impossible for human beings, um, there is a way in which the human person is endowed with these capacities that are good and that God, even the fallen human person, God hates nothing about the human being, even when it's corrupted by sin. It's almost like a corrective to those kind of notions you hear about or popular notions and like, especially reform circles of total depravity. That's a big word. And a lot of times when people hear the word total depravity, and even times when people preach about it, it is you are evil uh, or I am evil through and through and that's not what that doctrine is about it's more about like there's not a part of us that isn't affected by sin not our mind our reason not anything at all and I, but i think this is helpful and what you said is very helpful it's it's not that god created junk <laughs> um yeah uh, that that's that's really all i've got for that i mean i, I do yeah with Thomas Cranmer, et cetera, being more reformed, I, I do think that this is, yeah, helpful, especially for those of us in the Mockingbird world who, as you said, sometimes it does sound like we're like, yeah, I got drunk again. I'm a sinner. I have no health in me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've definitely done that exact same thing. So I don't, <laughs> I, I don't want to be polemical or I just... I think uh, it's just good. To oh, I'm say, in that world. Yeah. I'm not trying to knock that world. No, no, no. I know. <laughs> I know you're not. Okay. Well, I think this kind of connects um, between be with with what I thought we might talk about for the second second thing is um, the I forget what exactly it's called, but so we open. We say, "You are the Almighty, everlasting God. We ascribe truth. You hate nothing. You have made. You forgive the sins of all who are penitent." And then you make this request, making us new and contrite hearts. And then you say, "Like, well, God, here's what I want to have happen." Um, when this prayer, when you answer this prayer, and I think it's like the result, um, that we worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness may obtain of you, the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness. And what I want to highlight to me, what the key is this whole prayer is, um, is this adverb worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness. Um, And why do I find that significant? Well, because There are certain things that God who hates nothing he has made has given us the power and the capacity to do as human beings. In the season of Lent, it's helpful to fast from certain things. It's helpful to refrain from certain vices or to practice certain kinds of virtues. That's like the whole point of the season, right? That's that we're entering into. Um, And, you know, God doesn't like, we do not wait for a vision from heaven or some like, indisputable sign to like try and fast one day a week or to do some type of spiritual practice. Um, But I think what this prayer is really about is for not the grace to do the kind of like main and plain simple disciplines that God has given us the capacity to do, but it's that God through the power of the Holy spirit would make possible that which is impossible for us, which is a worthily lamenting of our sins, a worthily acknowledging of our wretchedness and inspired a spiritually inspired hatred of sin and a spiritually inspired thirst for righteousness, because that is something 
we cannot choose to do. God has not given, I mean, that is not something that we just have internally, right? Like we can do certain things. Like God has given us the capacity to do certain things. You can just refrain from eating lunch on Wednesday, but that in and of itself is only going to get you so far. In fact, it's not going to get you that far at all. And so what you need the grace of the Holy Spirit to do is to be present in your heart in such a way that you can worthily lament your sins and worthily acknowledge your wretchedness. Am I making sense this kind of distinction between what is possible for us to do and what is impossible for us to do? And this prayer is, is an acknowledgement of what is impossible for us to do, yeah. what we need God to do. So maybe we need to add to low anthropology, high Christology, high pneumatology. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's definitely my love language, as you, as you well know. But yeah, fair enough. So, okay. So a little bit in a different direction. On this day, every year in a lot of churches, uh, you know, ash is put on people's foreheads and it's associated with the fact that we're mortal, but also with what we've been talking about this whole time, this repentance. And I think, I, I don't know, I, like what, from what you were saying, that kind of, that resonated with me of, Again, we don't want to glory in our sins. We do. We want the you know the Lord to birth in us a hatred for all that hurts us, and so there's this this physical, tangible thing that is put on us, or at least most years when we don't have a pandemic, of these ashes, reminding us of our mortality, but also of you know, the need for repentance, and that sin actually does kill you and is actually not good. And I think that 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 physical, tangible reminder just goes in line with what we're reading about here i don't, I don't know does, does your church do ashes are you guys are you guys doing ashes this year sorry i was muted <laughs> we are we are doing ashes yeah are you guys no well we, we can't yeah our, our, our yeah. bishop said no it's probably for the best because we'll, we'll get too close to people yada yada are you're yeah. not like putting it in baggies are you Oh God, no, no. I mean, I mean, I think our thing is like, look, if you want to be there and you want to receive ashes, great. If you don't, of course, it's like, that's fine. Like, yeah. it's just like, we're, I think we're going to say like, look, if we're going to give you, treat you with enough dignity to like make you, you know, make those decisions for yourself. Yeah. Um, I, always, you, always, sorry. yeah. I always think it's very interesting that on this day, the reading uh, in the Episcopal church, in the ACNA, in the Roman Catholic Church, it's all the same. It's all about, you know, don't, we're not, you know, don't present your righteousness before others. And yet here we have this thing put on our head. But I think the reason why it makes sense to do this is ashes on your forehead are not a bragging about your righteousness. In fact, if anything, it's, you know, I am a sinner in need of the gift of repentance. So Lord, uh, create in me a new and contrite heart. And it's kind of a physical, like it's, it's mission to the world in a sense of like, yeah, I'm a screw up. When you think about it, you are too. And we need this gift of God to create this in us. That's what gets me into the Ash Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, I, that's, that's, uh, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm relatively indifferent on ashes for for or against i know some people that are very into like the original english reformation are like not excited about the ashes because yeah. when did they when did they reintroduce those like 70 years ago i don't know yeah i mean it's like a relatively novel thing in the grand scope of history but um yeah i think what i would just encourage people as a close is like lent there's a there's a 
it's good and helpful to do like external things during Lent. Like it is good to fast. It's good to refrain from things. But what Lent is ultimately about is this internal inner transaction where you worthily lament your sins and your wretchedness and you receive in that, in the place of that, like a soft contrite heart, you know, like Paul Zoll in his uh, reflection on this colic says penitence means seeing things as they are and flinging back that discouraging truth to God to take care of and dispose. We, uh, in and of ourselves can skip lunch, but we really need the grace of the Holy Spirit to see things as they are and then all, and then fling that back to God to take care of and dispose. I think that is what Ash Wednesday is truly about. It's that internal rending of the heart, not the garment. Mm-hmm. And who, honestly, at the end of the day, with all of our, you know, we don't like sin talk or this or that, who doesn't want to be made whole? And that's really what this is all about. So Nick, would you pray us out? Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing you have made and forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create and make in us new and contrite hearts that we worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness may obtain of you, the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. How about that episode of Our Triune Pod? Now that you've been prepped for praise, won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review? We promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming. So be sure to join us for another episode of your new favorite podcast.